it's generally agreed that two major factors which led to the fall of the Roman Empire, which were, were invasions by the barbarian tribes and moral corruption. The first was external, the second internal. Today I'm going to talk about the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. And I will cover 200 plus years in 40 minutes. So you need to buckle up your seatbelts. Their fall was self-inflicted, the same as with Judah in the south. They were both disobedient to the Mosaic Covenant, and in that covenant, God had promised them security. He promised them prosperity and stability under the terms of that covenant. But because they were not faithful, both of those kingdoms fell and went into captivity. Now, you understand that initially, Israel was a monarchy. It was a united kingdom for 120 years under Saul, David, and Solomon. Now, a kingdom must have a, a place. That's, that's a land. A people, subjects, and a ruler, a king. And after the time of the judges, going back just a few weeks ago, the Israelites wanted a king. And who did they get? You should know this from Sunday school now. You should know all of this if you were paying attention. So I'm preaching to those who were sleeping during Sunday school. Israel wanted a king and they got, they got Saul. McLean comments that the original mistake of Israel was not asking for a king, but rather in asking for a king like all the nations. Now, David, we know, was a man after God's own heart. He committed some serious sins, but he was a very good king, but not a good father. After his son brutally raped his sister Tamar, that was Ammon, David was very angry. And it says in 1 Samuel 13, 21, when, when King David heard of all these things, he was angry. And that was righteous anger, no doubt. But the question is, what did he do about it? What did he do about it? There's a, there's a footnote, I believe it's in the ESV, and it follows... It's taken from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Septuagint, and I think some early Greek manuscripts, and has this note. But he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him since he was the firstborn. After Absalom, his son took matters into his own hands and avenged the rape of his sister Tamar by murdering Amnon, David once again did nothing, did nothing. Then came Adonijah, David's fourth son, who tried to become king when David was dying. And it says in 1 Kings 1.5, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and thus? He failed to correct his sons. David, King David, failed to discipline his sons, and this had consequences. He was a poor example to Solomon, who started out right, as we saw last week, but fell into sin. 
To please his many wives, Solomon brought their foreign gods to Israel so that they could worship them. And then he ended up worshiping them, worshiping them. And that is the slippery slope that we need to be careful of. What we tolerate, we usually end up embracing. True? And as a result, the kingdom of Israel would become a divided kingdom. First Kings 11.11, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. That would be Rehoboam. And this gives us the theme of First Kings, which is discontinuance through disobedience. Discontinuance through disobedience. I you to think of it this way. First and Second Kings, really simple. Big picture. First Kings. Solomon, Civil War, Elijah. Solomon, Civil War, Elijah. Second Kings, watching the North fall, the South failing to learn, and Elisha, two key prophets. Now, when it comes to Kings, it was originally one book in the Hebrew Old Testament. We don't know for sure who wrote it. Many believe it was Jeremiah the prophet. But we have some idea of the source materials from which they, they borrowed. They, bought, they borrowed from the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. Turn there in your Bible. No, don't turn there because you won't find it. 1 Kings 14, 19. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. So that was one source, the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. 1 Kings 15, 7. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? The book of the Chronicles of the Kings is mentioned 18 times as the source material for the Israelite annals from which the writer borrowed, and 15 times for the Judean animals, uh, annals from which he borrowed. And then the second source material is the book of the Acts of Solomon. And you'll find this statement in 1 Kings 11.41. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, as they are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? We don't possess those books. We don't possess those chronicles. They were royal records, probably housed in the palace of the king, and nor do we know who recorded them. But we do know this, and this wasn't unique to Israel, that ancient kings kept records of all of their deeds. They liked to eliminate the bad times, the bad deeds, but they kept record of their, their conquests and so forth. The northern kingdom of Israel under Jeroboam initially had its capital at Sechem, or Sechem, then at Terzah, and then finally at Samaria under, under Omri. It existed for 209 years until it was overthrown by the Assyrians in a very crucial date that you should have locked into your mind, 722 
BC. And it's no secret, I know Mark's probably mentioned this, I've mentioned this, all 19 kings of the northern kingdom representing nine dynasties, 19 kings, nine family dynasties, they were all no good. They were all evil. And it started with Jeroboam. Everybody here knows Jeroboam now, right? 1 Kings 15, 34 makes this statement. He, Bashaw, latter king, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then here's the key phrase. And walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he made Israel sin. So in the way of Jeroboam is a bad way to be walking. And that's God's evaluation of the northern kings, not man's. A capable ruler is not always good in God's sight. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom, but here is, here is what I think we should keep in mind. Number one, who put Jeroboam in power? God. God put him in power. And he put him in power as a result of Solomon's sin. Jeroboam was a servant of Solomon who turned against Solomon. And then a prophet named Ahijah met, met Jeroboam. And what did he do? He tore his garment into 12 pieces, signifying the end of the monarchy. That's a crucial thing. And the division of the kingdom. And Jeroboam would receive 10 tribes. We also need to know this. Jeroboam was, the, was offered the chance to have God's blessing upon him. He could have gotten everything started out in the right direction. 1 Kings eleven thirty seven. I will take you, Jeroboam, and you will reign over all your heart's desires, and you will be king over Israel. Then it shall be, pay attention, if you heed all the that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. Friends, that if is filled with promises. Deuteronomy 28.1 Now it will come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings mentioned there in chapter 28 will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So blessings were promised under the Mosaic Covenant to all Israel if they obeyed God. And Solomon knew for certain that wisdom, the greatest blessing of all, was an if proposition. It doesn't come naturally. Proverbs 2.1, my son. What's the next word? If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge 
of God. If then, if then. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, if then, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If is the biggest little word in the Bible. It's all over the scriptures with promises and judgments depended upon it. I think it appears some 1,600 times. You know, we love, we love the good promises in the Bible, right? Sometimes you see them on, on T-shirts. Sometimes you see them on coffee mugs. We love the good promises. However, I have yet to see coffee mug or a T-shirt or a shirt with Hebrews 12.6 on it. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If, if you will obey my son, I will bless you. But if you do not, then I will chasten you. Because if you are a child of God, God loves you. And whoever the Lord loves, he chastens. Well, Jeroboam began well, right? But he didn't end very well. God raised him up as a king. He had a bright future ahead of him. But he forfeited all and he led the entire nation into sin. It says in Psalm 1:1, Blessed is the man who walks, what? Not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path or the way of sinners. And it is so true. Walk with fools and you will become a fool. Young people, mark it down. The company you keep matters a lot. Walk with fools and you will become a fool. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. I'm going to spend a little more time on Jeroboam, although I didn't intend to, because he was the forerunner of the evil kings who followed him. Some were much worse. And I think we know this, right? Evil tends to pick up what? Steam over time, doesn't it? 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live in godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. That's the natural trajectory of evil, to get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, the expression, the sins of Jeroboam, appears 15 times in the record of the kings. Jeroboam was a trendsetter. But here's the interesting thing. You know, he did not eliminate God altogether from Israel. He wanted to keep the people of the north from traveling to Jerusalem to worship. So he built those two worship sites in the north, Dan and one in the south, Bethel. That was bad enough. But on those sites, he erected two golden calves. He established his own priesthood, who were not of the sons of Levi, contrary to the Mosaic word. He instituted his own feast. Here it is. Jeremiah invented his own religion. That's what he did. To quote the French song that Frank Sinatra 
made famous. I did it my way. I did it my way. Self-determination. When it comes to God, and you're going to try to define God for yourself, you're going to try to make a way to reach God by yourself, bad idea. Really bad idea. So here's what he said. 1 Kings 12, 27. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord Rehoboam. Remember, he was the king of Judah in the south. And they will kill me and they'll go back to King Rehoboam of Judah. He's rationalizing everything. He's thinking like a politician thinks. Therefore, the king asked advice. He made calves of gold and he said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem, right? That's just too far of a journey for you to go. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Did you ever hear that before? Here are your gods, O Israel. And he set one up in Bethel and he set the other one up in Dan. And it says in 2 Kings 17, 23, two, the children of Israel walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them. He was the trendsetter. 1 Kings 13, 1. Interesting. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against that altar. They're in, they're in Bethel. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. Now I want you to pay attention to this. If you don't think the Bible is accurate, here's what this unknown man of God said to him. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned here. He names Josiah by name 300 years before he was born. Well, Jeroboam was the trendsetter, but King Ahab was the worst of the lot. He was the worst of the worst. Why? Because he introduced Baal worship in Israel, courtesy of his wife. Jezebel. Jezebel. Get it? Jezebel. He worshipped the Phoenician gods and goddesses, Baal and, and all the others. And then she brought that to Israel. Judas and Jezebel are infamous names. Nobody names their son Judas and nobody names their daughter Jezebel for a reason. In 1 Kings 11.25, there was none like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because his Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all the things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Now, here's another interesting thing. In Ahab's reign, 
prophecy was fulfilled concerning Jericho. Remember the city of Jericho? The Israelites came in and they conquered the city of Jericho. And then it says in Joshua 6.24, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with the, with the youngest he will set up the gates. 700 years later. Mark it down. 700 years later. 1 Kings 16.33 Ahab made a woman a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days. That means under his direction. Heel, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. God said don't build it. In defiance of God they build Jericho. And you know what it says? He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. And with his youngest son, Segub, he set up the gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun, in Joshua 6.24. Remarkable, isn't it? We don't know how they died. But they died just as Joshua said they would die if they rebuilt Jericho. You know, God raised up a man to call Israel to repentance, the northern kingdom. Who was it? Elijah. Elijah. He called fire down from heaven. And then he called Elisha as his successor. You think of Elijah, you think of someone who is, you know, pretty stern, fiery type of John the Baptist. Elijah was different. He was he was sent by God, and we'll talk talk about this a little bit later on, with a different kind of a ministry, prophetic ministry, but it was much longer than Elijah, much much longer. But I want to mention another king, the tenth one. So we go from Jeroboam. We go to Ahab, and then we go to a man by the name of Jehu. Jehu. Jehu was chosen by God to destroy the house of Ahab. And he is actually mentioned on an Assyrian obelisk, like a monument. Mentions Jehu. What do we call him? The Terminator. Jehu the Terminator. He was the executioner of Baal worshippers. But the Bible says he didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam. Still wanted things his way. You know what he did? He was a bloodthirsty man, but he, he received his command to go out and execute the Baal worshippers. He killed Joram, first the king of Israel. Then he killed Ahaziah, the king of Judah. Then he had Jezebel killed. Then he had 70 sons of Ahab killed upon his order and their heads sent back in baskets. He had 42 brothers of King Ezekiah of Judah killed. Then he, then he faked a conversion to Baal. You got it, right? Yeah, he says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
think I'm going to embrace this Baal stuff. So he invites all the priests of Baal to gather for a celebration in the temple of Baal. And he killed them all. Then he broke down the sacred pillar of Baal. He tore down the temple of Baal. And he turned it into a public toilet. And that's what God thinks of Baal worship. It became a public latrine. After 200 years, Israel was taken into captivity. 722 BC. The last king of Israel was Hoshea, who reigned nine years. You know what Hoshea's name means? Salvation. Deliverance. But there would be no salvation or no deliverance for Israel. Second Kings, which we read, gave a litany of evil that Israel did. Second Kings 17. Isaiah the prophet. 10.5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, to tread them down like the mire of the streets. You know what that is telling us? That God has some very big tools in his tool shed. If one doesn't work, he'll use another. Second Kings 17.6, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Israel took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halal and by the Haber, the river of Gozan, in the cities of the Medes. Well, what do we know and what do historians know about the Assyrians? Absolutely brutal. And were notorious for their widespread use of terror and torture, fear and torture. They depicted the torture in great details on the walls of the imperial palaces. They created tablets contain, containing every single punishment that the Assyrian army carried out. The words of an early Assyrian king, Usher. Narasipal in 875 revealed just how cruel they were. I built an altar over against his gate and I flayed all the children, the chief men of the captives. I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I impaled on pillars and stake. Many others I burned with fire. From some I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from others I cut off their noses and their ears and plucked out their eyes. Don't even want to mention that stuff, really. But you know it's happening in our world today, right? We got a little taste of it with ISIS. You just go online sometime and find out what Saudi Arabia does to people. They killed 300 in one day in a very cruel way. So evil's always been around, but these people were, boy, they were, they were barbaric to the extreme. But in addition to torture, the Assyrians would take captives from other nations, pagan nations, and they would mix them together making 
the, those nations and the populations of those nations disappear as separate entities. And that forced the Jews, when the Assyrians came to take them captive, they left the poor in the land. It forced them, Jews who remained in the land, to assimilate into those pagan cultures. And the Jews remaining in the land in, intermarried with Gentiles, giving birth to the Samaritans. Second Kings 17.24, the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, from Kuthah, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and he placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in their cities. But it says in verse 29 of 2 Kings 17, every nation continued to make gods of its own. This is just bring all these people together. Let them worship their own gods. And put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. Listen, a bad immigration policy will get a nation into trouble. It's all over the Bible. I have to close. They did it, right? 209 years and 30 minutes. But not all the details. I'll leave that to Mark to fill in the gaps. Here's my close. I want to talk with you in closing in preparation for the Lord's Supper. About God's patience. The Bible says he is patient. He is long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is merciful. The Bible says he is slow in anger and plenteous in mercy. God in his patience and his mercy erects speed bumps and caution signs in our life. I mean, you, you know what a speed bump is. We all hate them, right? We try to go around them. But they're meant to what? Slow you down for your good or for somebody else's good. And, you know, we, we just get out on the, the, the racetrack of life, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going at full throttle. Speed bump. Something slows us down. God's getting our attention. So we, okay, make, all right, slow down. Get up and running again a little bit slower, but, but, but it isn't long before you're going 75 miles per hour again and you, and, and you see a sign, a caution sign and whatever. Slow down, slow down. Reflect, think. God did this in Israel's history of the northern kingdom over and over and over again because he's a God of mercy and he's a God of patience. Thomas Nelson said this, first of all, he, he sent them Elijah. What did Elijah do? He showed them God's wrath. Let's have a little contest here on Mount Carmel. You bring your 450 prophets of Baal 
and we'll see who is God. He sent them Elijah, who showed them God's wrath. And he sent them Elisha, who ministered to Israel for 40 years in a more merciful manner. Speed bump one, speed bump two. Then he sent them, guess what? Terrorism. He brought Ben-Hadad and Hezael Syrians to terrorize their land. Then he sent them Jehu, who reigned for 28 years. He promised Jehu a dynasty that would last to the fourth generation, and it did. Could have been a great time to turn things around. Get rid of all these Baal worshippers. He gave them blessings, fifth, through Jehu's sons. They could all have been eliminated. And then you know what did last? The last speed bump? Elijah never wrote anything, and Elisha never wrote anything that we have record of. So God sent them the writing prophets to put it down in pen and ink. Of course, they didn't use pen and ink. He sent them the writing prophets. He gave them Hosea and Amos to minister to the northern kingdom. And then he gave them Micah and Isaiah to minister to the southern kingdom. Because you get, you get the picture now. Israel fell. They were eliminated. Boom, off the face of the earth. Scattered. But what did you to do? No better. Just took a little longer. 722, infamous date in Israel's history. And then the next one is 586 B.C., the fall of Judah, which I'll talk about next week. So here's my final word. First, God declares what he will do. He often does that. And he will do what he declared. Second, today is the day of salvation. That's what the scripture says. In other words, now is the opportunity but it will not last. It's only for a short period of time in some people's life. And then thirdly, when God says it's over, it's over. If his pleas for mercy, or if his, plea, his patience and his mercy are ignored, then God will act according to, the, to what he has declared. And when he says it's over, it's over. And it was over for the northern kingdom of Israel in 722. And it will be over for the southern kingdom of Judah, as I said, in 586 BC. But, but what, about, uh, what about us? Today is the day of salvation. If you're not saved, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and, and you are not willing to renounce your own religion, your own works, 
whatever it is you're erecting like Jeroboam to satisfy this kind of a religious thing in your life, which so many people are doing, that's what people do. They attach themselves to a religion of works or or they renounce all of those things and they just follow a path of self-determination. I'll do it my way. I'll get to heaven my way. I think I'm good enough. You know, when I look at so-and-so over, they're really bad. I'm not that bad. You don't have to be that bad. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's your heart. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your heart is desperately wicked in the sight of a thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's why the Bible says you will not enter into his presence with the stain of a single sin on your garment. It has to be cleansed whiter than snow. And there's only one one way that that can happen. The blood of the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Savior? Listen, this could be a speed bump in your life right here, right now. Maybe you're not thinking about God. You're worrying about yourself. You're Whatever it is in your life, I don't know. But I do know this. You're here. And God is being merciful to you. But not forever. The day is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. What will you do with Jesus? Father, thank you this morning. For your word may it penetrate our hearts. God, help us to to understand you as you have declared yourself to be in your word. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your mercy, for your loving kindness, for your love in sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sins because we're all lawbreakers. Each and every one of us. If there would be here one person today. Maybe they've heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection according to the scriptures. But they've never called upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, that they might be saved. May today be that day. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. So Lord, use the Spirit of God I pray, Father, in a powerful way to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons we've learned today from the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. Help us, Lord, not to to go about things our own way, to be quick when we sin, to confess our sins, knowing you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.